we get started, gang, the following effort has certain elements which can be of, uh, well, let's put it this way, to those of you who are are uh, exquisitely, or exquisitely, uh, depending on how you pronounce it, uh, you know, where you came from, it's your problem. But uh, to those of you who are overly sensitive, uh, you may find there are certain elements in the following uh, program, shall we call it, uh, that uh, may be difficult for those of you who are overly sensitive to uh, digest easily along with your evening uh, jello and those nice things, the TV dinners and stuff that you've put down for so long. Just thought we'd warn you now. We don't want to have any misunderstandings here. You know, it is hard to believe that there are some people who actually do live on TV dinners. Did you see the TV commercial where it shows this girl? Uh, she's uh, she's preparing uh, this TV uh, frozen type thing, see? And it says, uh, and now you can prove to your husband that you are also a good cook by preparing uh, in the new frozen form this elegant bouillabaisse, which comes... Uh, <laughs> and uh, I imagine there are a lot of people who think that, you know, tearing the wrapper off one of those things and sticking it in the oven for 12 minutes is called cooking. And so, you know, it's, it's just the way it goes. That's part of the... There's a lot of great new commercials that I, I like to keep up on because uh, I think the commercial really is in many ways the, the uh, calendar of the fears of our times. Do you agree with that, Bill, a little bit? Uh, this is where you see it. Now, for example, there seems to be an increasing amount of discussion between people about bad bread. Uh, that is, uh, the, you know, bantering back and forth about it. You've noticed that. Even in elevators, a guy will show up. Did you see the one where the guy shows up and he knocks on the door? So he, the door opens, and uh, uh, he says, uh, may I borrow a cup of, and the girl says, mouthwash? And uh, he, oh, excuse me, a cup of what? He says, a cup of uh, flour, please. See, he's chastened at that point. He realizes that his uh, unbelievable breath has uh, caused her instantly to think he wants to borrow a, uh, and and uh, you know and so he goes out and a couple of minutes later it, apparently there's a quick change of scene and now he's in the elevator with her and uh, she remarks on the fact that his breath is now so beautiful she doesn't know him you know this is an important thing to remember how how long has it been since you have uh, referred to a stranger's breath I mean in any way shape or form good bad or indifferent unless you're a cop and say get out you smell like a brewery out of the car come on hands on the hood. You know that uh, that's something else. You know? <laughs> so there's a there's a lot of uh, little things that are happening in the TV commercial world uh, today that shows that uh, no longer does man worry about the uh, sensibilities of his fellow man. We're moving into an era of complete insensitivity to other people, in spite of the love buttons and little smile buttons and all that. You've noticed that that in an earlier period it would have been unthinkable for anyone to even hint that you would suggest that a man or a person that you have met just for the first time, uh, you would refer to his bad breath. Now, we're not saying that there isn't such a thing as bad breath, but the fact that you would refer to it is a new, you know, it's a new development in the insensitivity of man today towards his fellow man. <laughs> it's kind of nice, you know. Uh, there's uh, several other interesting commercials. Uh, for example, there's one guy, uh, again, in the bad breath department. He's uh, looking in the mirror, and apparently the radio is telling him that he should uh, take this uh, mouthwash and use it for its best purposes. And uh, suddenly he says, Hey, Martha! Hey! And she says, Yes, Charles. 
He says, Martha, the guy on the radio says that uh, that uh, mouthwash doesn't have to taste like medicine to uh, to be effective. Have you seen that one? Well, now, at no point did the guy on the radio say that. Uh, I suggest that the next time you watch that commercial, listen to what the guy on the radio says, and you'll find it has nothing to do with what he says. <laughs> and uh, then, of course, there's another commercial that says distinctly that if you take caffeine out of coffee, it takes away, quote, what they call in the commercial bitterness. Have you seen that one? Yes, Klutzo has removed 97% of the bitterness by taking out 97% of the caffeine. I hate to disillusion you. Did you know that caffeine is a, is a tasteless subject, is a substance, has no taste at all? So any bitterness in your coffee is not from caffeine. In spite of the commercials, it comes from that rotten, moldy coffee pot you're using, the one you have not cleaned since 1936 and has now got an inch of crud on the bottom of it. That's where that comes from. Plus the fact that you boil it seven minutes too long, trying to make uh, three teaspoonfuls of coffee do the work of eight. That's where you get the bitterness. Okay, Bill? All right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just think commercials are kind of great, you know, for that reason. I, I, and now, oh, I think one of the most beautiful commercials, I think, is the one today where it shows this. It's a very dreamy commercial. It's very dreamy. And it's, uh, it's photographed purposely out of focus. It gives that dreamy quality, you know, of an idyllic. It's, it's like love story. If you remember, if you saw that turkey... Uh, that there were moments when, uh, you know, when the passion was so exquisite and the emotions were running so high that the, that the camera got all misty-eyed, the camera itself, you know, got all misty and the music, you know, built up. And uh, it was just a moment of exquisite passion. Well, there's a commercial that uses that technique, that uh, it's all misty-eyed, right, for starters. And uh, it shows the family scene that shows Grandpa and Grandma, apparently, couple of aged types, and there is Daddy looking like a... He's got this doughy-eyed look of a Daddy who's completely been defeated by life. He's one of the most defeated-looking guys I've seen on TV in years, yeah. He really has. He's got bags under the bags under his eyes. You know, he's got this sad look. And, uh, and uh, in the foreground is this beautiful, apparently, 16-year-old girl. She's a little toothy, uh, for my taste, but she... She's, uh, you know, she's what passes for beauty on television commercials. And so she's in the foreground, and uh, the music rises to a crescendo immediately. It's love story type music, you know. Dun, 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 and it's a moment of, of truth, and he says, uh, he's looking out, and she's looking out somewhere off over your left shoulder as a viewer. See, she's looking past you, and there's a look of, 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 of complete confusion on her face, and yet expectancy and daddy then says it's yours it's all yours here here's the key and she says no and she runs down it's like that moment you know when uh, you know the moment of ecstasy and love story when the guy first kisses the girl the bells ring she runs down the uh, the stairs and down the sidewalk and uh, Daddy in the background says, it's all yours, it's, it's your gift, it's yours, it's, it's, a, it's a Datsun. And then in the background, the voice says, yes, it doesn't have to cost much for a birthday present for a gift. It doesn't have to, I thought to myself, a $2,000 present. That, that's the kind of thing that the, that the, uh, that the uh, Raj Maharaja of Jaipur 
would consider an inexpensive gift. You notice, the, the, and, and this is all part of the of the new morality of the time. You know, somehow apologizing for a two thousand dollar Datsun is not costing enough for a gift. Uh, <laughs> I thought, my God Almighty! I mean, wait till some poor guy when she gets married, and some poor guy tries to give her her. You know, the first year on the wedding anniversary, he brings her home. Uh, you know, a General Electric uh, electric can opener or something. And and uh, she looks back on those good old days living with Daddy when for her 16th birthday she got a $2,000 and was apologized to it at that. You know, that somehow it wasn't an Eldorado. But uh, nevertheless... <laughs> so, so did you see that commercial? Well, I, I think that's one of the more sickening commercials on the air today. It uh, it uh, it sure shows some fascinating things are going real good with the you know with the uh, well how how shall I use I hate to use the phrase that pops up constantly in the underground press with the standard of mores in our world you know it uh, somehow but the, uh, you know giving the giving the cars enough but the idea that the announcer apologizes that adds the little soupçon of our time that uh, that gives a little and so. Uh, uh, I, I've noticed that uh, there's a lot of concern today over, over, uh, over bad breath. But I notice a very interesting thing that the concern over, uh, well, how shall I put it? Uh, I want to be as delicate as I can here. Uh, that the concern over, uh, well, what used to be known in the, uh, in the Life Boy ads as BO. Uh, do you remember those? Uh, well, that has sort of disappeared uh, in the, recently. Uh, now, of course, there are, yes, I, I must admit that there are still ads for various types of aroma, bodily type, but they're becoming more specialized. Uh, no, not just the general smelliness of an individual is no longer discussed. It's, you know, gotten very specialized. Uh, in fact, you know that now there's, you can buy a deodorant for, for various portions of your anatomy. For example, you can get a foot deodorant, you can get a deodorant for your hair, various types and so when a person travels about he has to go you know with a complete symphony of various deodorants all spray can of course incidentally i would like to ask a question how come none of the tv shows you know tv commercials ever show how spray cans really work for example how many times have you gotten a spray can and pressed the top of it and nothing came out and then a couple you know you kept pressing it down couple of little spritzes came out, you know, once in a while, it comes out. It doesn't even atomize. And all of a sudden it goes, Bleh! and it squirts it all out, all over your foot, all over the rug, either that or just nothing. That's, that's even more fun. What do you do at that point? Now, is that, that seems to be getting more prevalent. At least I've had about five or six incidents of that type in the last month alone. I mean, is it my imagination, or once again have I been caught by going to a second-rate Brand X dealer. Oh, you mean it isn't happening to you? It isn't. Well, I want to tell you, I went to a strictly brand A dealer, certainly judging from the price he charged, and I bought a, a, a can of spray paint the other day. Uh, flat, in case you're curious, it was matte, M-A-T-T-E. I, I like the little mate. It was a matte finished white. Uh, now, that's a, a euphemism. That's a, a high-priced euphemism for what they used to call primer white, uh, flat white, right? <laughs> and now it's matte white, which makes it at least twice the price. So, nevertheless, I get the can, see? Now, here's the theory that a lot of this is based on. Uh, it's based on it's too damn much trouble theory. 
Now, I'll figure that out for a minute. Just to think about this. It's too, how many times have you gotten something that bugged you so much, but it wasn't, you know, if it was a $100 item, you'd go back and yell. But since it's a 98-cent thing, and you had to take a bus four miles to get it in the first place, and it doesn't work when you get it, uh, then immediately the shepherd, it's too damn much trouble theory takes over. You don't go back, right? Well, the guy has sold you a flim-flam, but he recognizes the fact <laughs> that you won't come back with it. You know, one guy out of ten will come back with it, in which case he'll immediately give you the, the, the spray can. So, oh, yes, of course, we've had a little trouble with those. Either that or you say, well, you must have sat on it. Uh, he'll, you know, he may give you a little flap. But generally, he buys this stuff knowing full well that out of 100 cans he buys, 97 don't work. But out of 97 that he sells, maybe three guys will come back. Because, quote, the famous shepherd theory, it's too damn much trouble, takes over. And you don't come back. So this is exactly what happened to me, Bill. I, I, uh, I had this board saying I was going to paint it white. And uh, I'm not even going to bore you with the with the ridiculous reason why I was painting the board white. I was going to paint a board white. Okay, is that enough to for the start the argument? So I said, well, I'm going to paint it uh, flat white. Well, I realized that in this day of advancing euphemisms and the dynamic uh, high price language, uh, you don't go out and ask for a can of flat white. Uh, at least if you do, you see, he'll say, well, at the, you got to go out at a lumber store for that. Uh, you can get still flat white at lumber stores, but you go into what they call home supply stores, and look out, you'll be shucked like a banana walking into a monkey house. I, uh, <laughs> I go in, <laughs> which reminds me, this is WOR in New York. Hey, guess who was in here yesterday? Doc Oglethorpe, the psychiatrist. Yeah, and when I go to take his order, he says, Connor, I think I'm going nuts. Four nights now I've been having this same dream, and I can't figure out what it means. Well, now I can see this is serious. So I say, you want to tell me about it? And he says, well, it's a weird dream, Connor. All very strange. I have the feeling I'm made out of glass. I'm very cold. And I seem to have three rings tattooed on my stomach. And I say, Doc, I may be all wet. But it sounds to me like you dreamt you were a bottle of Valentine beer. And those three rings were for purity, body, and flavor. What he says, a bottle of Valentine beer, that's stupid, that's dumb. But wait a minute. That would explain how come in the dream I had to unscrew my hat. So just like that, Doc's all cheerful again. And he orders around a Valentine for everybody in the place. Some world, huh? Hey, let me get you another Valentine. On the house. Ah, uh, Valentine Bach beer is now available. Falstaff Brewing Corporation, St. Louis, Missouri, and other cities. And, uh, hey, do you like uh, a little glass of wine with your meal? Prices are going up. You're wondering if French wines might be too expensive. Well, we'd like to suggest Alexis Lachine. Uh, it's a company that selects the finest wines of France and brings them to you in a beautiful bottle and elegant wines and at a price you can afford. And they have all kinds. They have a rosé and they have a Beaujolais and they have uh, all types of great, elegant French wines. And it's Alexis Lachine. So when you walk in, simply say, I want... Uh, Take a look at those Alexis Lachine wines, the beautiful French rosé and the beautiful bottle at the beautiful price. Imported by Bass Charrington Vintners of New York. The only thing you have to know about French wines these days is the name. Alexis Lachine. Alexis Lachine. Alexis Now, a word from the good old California Prune Advisory Board. 
You know there's no talking in the library. I'm not talking, I'm eating. But you're not supposed to be eating in the library. Well, I couldn't wait. Oh, what are you eating? Uh, a pastrami sandwich, potato salad, pickles, and some prunes. <laughs> prunes? Yeah, what's so funny about prunes? <laughs> prunes? You're kidding. <laughs> a lot of girls laugh when prunes are mentioned. It, maybe it's because they don't know that pound for pound, prunes are six times the iron of the six leading fresh fruits. Or that prunes are good for a girl's complexion. Or that pound for pound, prunes have eight times the vitamin A of the most popular fresh fruit. Isn't it time you ladies gave another thought to the California prune? <laughs> hey, hey, look, I'm through with the prunes. Will you stop laughing? <laughs> California prunes, the funny fruit that does so much for you. But uh, nevertheless, I, I walk into this place <laughs> <laughs> and it's a it's it's the kind of place you know that calls itself you know there's all kind be beware of any place that in itself has 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 created a euphemism for what it sells. Now if you go into a place on the window it says hardware, well you're generally going to get that. But if you go into a place called uh, funny doodads, look out. Look out! You're asking to be zipped up the front and stitched down the side. Because this is the kind of place that uh, school teachers go to and people who consistently read the Atlantic Monthly, uh, people who cannot break the Saturday Review of Literature habit and who live and die by the New York Review of Books, they're always going to go to a place like that to buy a light bulb, at which point they will pay at least four to eight times what they would pay at their local A&P for the same bulb. You've seen this. Well, that's right. So, Shepard, uh, just by a terrible mistake, I walked into a place called... Uh, Fabulous doohickeys, something like that. And it's uh, you remember the name. That's not the ex exact actual name of it, but it's uh, you know something like a fabulous doohickeys, and it's done in old English gold lettering uh, uh, that's nicely peeled and looks very colorful on the window there. And there were a large number of guys wearing ruffled, sort of purpley shirts in there, running it. Very slender waisted guys with pink shoes, and they love these kind of places. So I go in there. And I said to the guy, I said, hey, uh, you got any flat white? He said, flat white? Uh, what do you mean? I said, uh, do you have any flat white paint? I want some flat whites for primer. He says, flat white? I, uh... Oh, you must mean mate white. Yes, it's a soft finish white, uh, as, opposed to the, uh, as opposed to the photo finish or gleam white, we call it here. I said, oh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's what I want. It's a, I don't want anything that, uh, you know, I don't want a, uh, a hard-finish enamel type. I want a, a flat white is what I want. Uh, uh, David, would you bring back uh, one of those uh, cans of mate white? Yes, they're just on the other side of the, uh, uh, the Tiffany reproductions, yes. Well, I waited, and it came, and it was $1.98 which is a lot of money to pay for, you know, a can of paint that's about the size of a your average uh, shaving, you know, paint, and so, you know, your average shaving thing. So I figured it was very good paint. So I got, uh, you know, I got out on the street, and it took me, you know, two and a half hours to fight my way through the crowd back to where I was going to use it to, you know, paint this board. And I uh, takes it out, and I looked at it, and it said the very elegant lettering. It said Mate White with an umlaut or something over the E. I should have known. You know, I should have known. And uh, I, I, uh, it's, <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the, uh, 
the uh, instructions said to shake the can thoroughly. Well, of course, you realize the very use of language tells you that you're in with an elegant crowd. Uh, they used to be, it's just a, you know, the instruction says, shake well. Or sometimes, if you got it from Sears, it would say, shake good. And uh, so it says, shake the can thoroughly. And so I did, I shook it thoroughly. It says, uh, then remove the top. And uh, upon the initial depression of the button atop the can, uh, the first... Uh, the first amount of paint that will emerge will be in larger drops, after which uh, repeated usage, it will arrive at the proper misting uh, to give you a beautiful, long-lasting and uh, highly satisfactory artistic coat of paint. Well, of course, this was the instruction, see? So I said, okay, what, what all uh, resolves all down to shake it good, you know, and then the press the top, and the first few spritzes are going to fly out and after that, it's going to be good, right? Isn't that what it sounds like? So Shepard takes the thing, and he, he presses it. And the minute he pressed it, this is a, a true 20th century man, you know, knows all the signs of defeat when he runs into them. Like, for example, how long has it been since you've gone into a gas station recently and asked to have your oil changed? That could be exciting. Uh, yeah, just try it. You know, you see, you, know, you see all these smiling guys on the commercials? You know, the guys that come running out in the middle of the rain and do everything, but, the, you know, the one that goes home and takes the docks one. How about that one? Uh, have you seen that goodie where the lady's dog is sick and, and uh, she calls up the gas station, the guy comes out and takes the dog to the hospital? Did you see that one? I wish I could. Uh, You've got to watch these things, you two guys. You're, 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 you're beginning to drop off on your, your culture. I mean, really, uh, uh, anyway, she calls her local service station, and this uh, little Valentine, this commercial is written in the form of of a letter to the uh, what's that? Clean. Oh, well, listen. The, the fact that they've got uniforms at all surprises me. The guys that come out always have have uh, have uh, you know dirty sweatshirts on the front that usually have something to say about pigs. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, come on, <laughs> clean uniforms, Bill. Are you kidding? You must live in a very elegant neighborhood. Listen, the, the, the gas stations I know, the uniforms of the day uh, usually consist of a T-shirt uh, with, with an obscenity on the back of it. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, and that is filthy, completely filthy, you see. And I don't know how he got it filthy. He didn't get it filthy working. I'm just trying to figure out where the hell he got that dirty T-shirt, unless they buy dirty T-shirts to pretend like they're working when the, you know, when the gas station people come around to see what's going on. But nevertheless, I went to four gas stations here just last week trying to get an oil change. You want to hear what the various answers were? I, I drove into one place, see, and the guy took one look. I, I drove in, see, and it went ding, ding. And you know how the little thing goes, ding, ding, and uh, nothing. See, nothing happens. So I figured I'll back over it again, see? So I backed over it. It goes, ding, dong, and still nothing. And so I figured, well, I'll give it one more shot. So I backed, you know, I, I put the thing in, in first, and I rolls over it. Ding, dong. And with that, a head comes out of the shed there, you know, where these guys are playing pinochle. Head comes out of the shed, and the guy says, quick, ringing a bell, I hear you. So I said, uh, <laughs> excuse me, I'm in a hurry. He said, well, if you're in a hurry... Take a ride, Mac. So I put the car in first, and I drove out. By the way, this is a this is a uh, this is a place that has ads all over TV, 
which shows these smiling, square-jawed guys leaping out in the middle of a rainstorm to do everything but to put on a new windshield because, you know, the water's on it, you know. You know, clean uniforms, that's nothing, Bill. Clean uniforms. Listen, I don't care if the guy comes out wearing a barrel stave if he does something. The hell with the uniform. I've never yet seen a guy change the oil with a uniform. So, uh, never, you know, I mean, I couldn't get this guy to do anything. So, so finally, I, I drove on a couple of blocks down the street, see, and I figured, I, you know, I, I'd, really, I'd really get him this time, see. So I drove in, and this time I drove in sideways, and I, and I blocked, you know, with the thing that says lubrication. It says lubrication over the top of the door, see. And there were four guys in there working on what seemed to be Heine's 750 Honda. Now, Heine was one of the guys, see. The four of them had it all over the floor there, see. So I drove my car in and stuck the nose right in the thing where it says lubrication. So I got out of the car. See, they didn't even look at me this, this time. See, I got out of the car, and I walked back, and I could see what they were doing. They were grinding the valves on Heine 750 Honda. So I, I stood there for a while. You know, you don't want to interrupt men at their work, really. And uh, so one finally looked up at me and says, what do you want? I said, excuse me, uh, can I see anybody about an oil change? He said, what do you want an oil change? Can't you see we're using a lift? I says, well, excuse me, but you seem to be working on a motorcycle, and you don't have it on the lift there. Yeah, but it's all over the floor there. We can't, we're going to have to move it all over to the side there. So the lift is right here. We can't use the lift while we're working on Honey's bike. So uh, you're saying I can't get a, uh, an oil change. Well, why don't you change your oil yourself? Hey, sell him three quarts of oil, will you, Frank? Hey, guy wants three quarts. You want number 30 oil? I said, no, I don't want to change the oil myself because I want to put, I want, I want somebody to put in a new filter. Well, oh, get out. We don't put no filters in the car. No, you got to take that to the garage. So I drive back out, and I see he's got seven shelves of oil filters in there. You know, I don't want to interrupt his train of thought by pointing out what's he doing. You know, maybe this is an artistic display. You know, in case anybody wants to come in and look what an oil filter looks like, he can show them, see, but never use them. You know, it's like an artifact. So I drove out in the street again. You want to hear what the next one was? No, I'm not kidding you. I'm telling you exactly what happened. And these, each one of these was a major oil station. Each one has these great-looking people on TV. So I drove in to this next one, see. I figured, I'm, you know, damn it, I'm going to get my oil changed. So I drove in, and uh, this, this time I, I figured I'm going to sneak in behind... Uh, another car. See, I'm going to get him off off balance. And sure enough, a guy turns in. I turn right in behind him, and we both run over the little hose. Ding, 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 ding. You know, and uh, I pull up behind this guy. At which point, uh, this this guy comes out very casually, and uh, he says, uh, "Regular, or do you want high test?" And uh, at which point, the guy ahead of me says, uh, "Fill it up, regular." And the guy then says, this is, by the way, a nice point. He says, well, then you got to pull it up because this tank ain't working. Which means, <laughs> at which point the guy puts it in first seat and he starts to pull forward like that. And the, his car dies. Okay? So I'm sitting behind it. Now he's between pumps. I can't get to the high test. And the, the guy ahead of me cannot get to the uh, to the low test or whatever it is he's going to buy. And so at that he just starts going... <laughs> Oh, God. I'm sitting there waiting, you know. And then it finally happened, which always happens when you do that to any car that has a battery over three months old. It goes, oh, the battery's dead. At which point, what do you think the guy 
the pump jockey says. Do you think the pump jockey says, uh, let's take a look and see what's the matter? He says, come on, move this heap out of here. You're holding up the customers. There's three guys behind me already, see? Well, the guy gets out of his car, and obviously, you know, he ain't going to be pushing the car. He's about 84 years old. He weighs about 36 pounds, wearing his bowling shoes. And the, he gets out of the car, see, and he's sort of looking very helpless. And uh, he says, it won't go. He says, come on, that ain't my pump. Move it out of here, Mac. You're holding up, the, you're holding up business here. And uh, with that, the guy behind me starts to blow the horn, right? Okay, so he's blowing. I turn around. I says, I can't move. The guy ahead of me stuck. Well, at that point, he backs up behind me. He ain't going to hang around. You know, he's a mad-looking guy. He backs up and hits the grill at a guy behind him. Oh, jeez. It's going downhill fast. So, luckily, I have a rather small car. I very carefully maneuvered my way out of this. And this at this point, there are three people out in the driveway yelling. I maneuver my way out and back out casually, and I drive on down the street. I know I'm not going to get any from that guy. Well, <laughs> now you want to hear what the final one was? The final one, I drive along, and I says, Ah, at last, I am home. Now, you see, I happen to have once worked in a gas station that sold the gas that this guy was selling. Now, they happen to have a manual for service station operators, which I spent long, dreary Sundays when the, they... When the, when the, the guy that I worked for took all the uh, westerns out of his dress, you know, desk and took them home, and I had nothing to read, and I was sitting around, and nobody was coming in. I'd read the service manual, and the first thing says, we are there to service the customer. No matter what the customer asks, try to help him. Even if you cannot handle a job, try to help him and refer him to someone politely who can, and do it as quickly as you can. This is a must. So I'm thinking, well, you know, these guys, uh, this, this, this outfit, they're on top of it. I used to work in one of them places, see, and I'll, I'll try the casual approach. And also the buddy-buddy approach, like I have been through this together with you approach. You know that approach, Bill? Right? Like, like you know, you come into a service place where they're fixing your TV set and you tell them you fix it, you know. You try that, see. So I, I drove in this time very carefully, missing the hose, because I noticed that the hose gets them mad when they hear that ding-ding. That, that is a sure sign to get a guy in a gas station bug. Do you, you agree, Bill? So I, I clear, carefully maneuvered my car. Well, I missed the hose completely, see. And I, I look into the garage, and here's this guy sitting in the, in the little shed there, you know, the little, the little house, the one where they got the candy machines, you know, and the, and the, uh, the keys for the job. And he's sitting in there, and he's talking to his chick. The two of them are in there. See, it's, she's spending the Sunday with him. So uh, I drive. <laughs> How many times does this happen, right? So I drive in, and, uh, and I get out of my car, and I walk into the guy's place. And I said, excuse me. And there's a very heavy scene going on there. I could see that, you know, they've been breaking up for weeks, and it's now getting to the crucial point. I could see that, see. And uh, there he is sitting in his uh, obscene T-shirt, you know. It's got an obscenity on it. It's dirty and cruddy. And uh, I walk in, and I said, excuse me, uh, excuse me a moment, please. And uh, he said, wait a minute, wait just a minute, uh, Gloria. Uh, yeah, I, I look around. I said, "Oh, gee, I see. Uh, I see. I see. They still have the same, uh, uh, same uh, keychain, the same key markers uh, for the John. <laughs> Hi, George. Yeah, I remember. I used to work in a in a Texas blue station myself. You know, thank God, uh, nothing much has changed. So, what do you want? 
I said, oh, uh, not much. See, I'm trying to indirect approach thing. Not much. I just, uh, nothing much. Just a little quick job. I thought, uh, I like the oil changed. Pregnant pause. And Gloria, I could hear Gloria immediately start to, you know, she took a deep intake of breath. Like another one of those damn customers is interrupting our Noel Coward scene. Like that. I said, oh, no, no, I'm not going to hold him long. Uh, all, I want, all I want Chuck to do, see, he had Chuck written on his teeth. I said, all I want Chuck to do is to, is to put it on the lift and uh, open the take, the, take the bolt out of the bottom of the pan, see, and drain it out, at which point, if he wants to, I mean, if it isn't too much, put the thing back in, lower it, and I will pour the oil in. I won't even, you know, and, and, uh, and the, while he's got it up there, I'll take the cover off. See, you've got to get it up on the lift. I'll take the cover off, and I'll put in a new filter. I happen to have a filter with me, which was a lie, see. I was implying, see, maybe, because he had 44,000 filters in there. I figured he'd say, well, here, you know. So at that point, she, she looked at Chuck, good long look, and Chuck says, I can't do it today. I cannot do a, a, an oil job today. I says, but your, your, your lift, there's nothing on your lift. It ain't working. Air compression is down. It ain't working. Can't get it up on a lift. Well, of course, I realized what was happening. You know, I was, uh, I, I, I had, you know, I'd come there at the, the crucial moment, the middle of a dramatic soap opera, and there's nothing like the love life of a pump jockey. There, it's a very complicated love life, as you know, Bill, and it's given to flights of temper, so you better get out. Uh, these guys, you know, there's, there's not the, not a great deal of forbearance that they all that they have. They're very sensitive. They're almost like short order cooks. You get a short order cook, man, you'll have to get a cheeseburger right in your mouth. I mean, not, not, with a spatula attached, and maybe even a foot following it. So uh, you don't, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't, uh, you don't not argue with a with a pump jockey who's you know, and he's a great big fat one, you know, the the, the angry type. You know what about? And I could see right away you don't mess with this one because he had. On his giant biceps, which was roughly the size of a basketball, it said, born to lose. You know, I said, oh, God, here we go. You know, I could see the speck murders all over again. You know, man runs a mock slays seven in service station. At which point I said, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt anything. So I, I gradually back out, you know, and into my car. I didn't want to give this guy a clean shot at my back. I wanted to move fast if anything happened, see. So I moved out, got in the car, put it in first, and I got out of there so fast, I burnt rubber for a block and a half. Now, at this point, the, the, the oil has not been changed in my car. And uh, I just, uh, just amuse myself at times by going home and watching service station commercials. You know, to me, this stuff is much funnier than anything that appears on Hee Haw. Or on, on, you know, on, on the, it is because it's, it's inadvertently funny. Now, now uh, I uh, I began tonight's episode, uh, tonight's episode, and the continuing struggle of twentieth-century man against the overwhelming forces of his time, uh, discussing uh, uh, the commercial and its ramifications. Well, there's more to it than that. The kid wrote me a letter, and he said, Shepard, he said, uh, what you know, what do you think of all these commercials about the deodorants? Well, I'll tell you this. I uh. I have only one thing to say. He says, his letter at the bottom says, do you think people really worry about that? Well, it depends. Uh, dear uh, satisfied listener, it depends. Did I ever tell you about the time of Fungus Clevenger? Did I ever tell you about Fungus? Have I ever, ever mentioned him to you? Never heard the name? Well, Fungus lived on the same floor as I did 
in a college dormitory that I was at one time incarcerated in when I was known euphemistically as a sophomore. Now, I have not yet been able to get rid of the sophomore-ism. I have uh, been suffering for years under... Uh, I don't think many people ever get it beyond the sophomore stage, really. Uh, you may not be actually a sophomore, but you can be very sophomoric, which uh, is even more deadly. But uh, <laughs> Because you don't have the actual name, but you certainly have the game. But uh, nevertheless, there I am, see, sitting in my... In my uh, about to have a great lesson in, uh, in, uh, in the human... Uh, human behavior patterns. I am sitting in my my dormitory room, which I incidentally, at that time, shared with a guy who... Uh, have you ever had been spent a great deal of time with a guy who is so dim, who has so little personality, that you, 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 you have trouble, even when you're looking at him, to remember how his face looks? His name was Edward. I can't for the life of me remember his last name. Nobody ever called him Ed or Eddie. It was Edward. Now, how I got strapped with Edward is a kind of a, you know, one of those stories that happens to you in college. I had, I had a really rotten roommate the year before. I mean, a really rotten one. I mean, the kind, the kind that would come in and uh, throw beer cans all over the floor and uh, pour beer, you know, on, on, your, on, your, on your log tables. Uh, the kind of guy that, yeah, three times running in one week. I came in there, and he was asleep under the bed with his feet sticking out. And he had thrown up all over the floor. You know, and at that point, I had enough of that, see? So, so uh, I went down to, the, down to the administration office, you know, the building down there where they assign the various rooms and stuff. And I said, I want another roommate. And I said, well, we can't move him out. This is his room as much as it is yours. And I said, well, then move me out. He says, well, uh, we'll have to assign you to somebody. We do not have any, any what we call optional rooms available. Uh, you'll have to take the room that we assign. I said, well, I don't care. I want to get out of there. You know, there, there I was. You know, I was up to, out up to here in it, see. So finally, they sent me a note that I had in the room. Well, that's how I got, to, got in with Edward. Now, Edward was a quiet guy who sat at his desk all day long and worked. He, 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 now, that's admirable, I guess, wouldn't you say, Bill? Except that he worked ineffectually. Edward was one of these guys who, by the end of the second semester of our sophomore year, was already three-quarters expelled, merely because he simply <laughs> he didn't have it. So, and he worked constantly, and he was kind of gray. And so one day, uh, after about three days with Edward, we said nothing. He accepted me like he accepted all the rest of life, you know, completely without question. And uh, I moved in. And uh, to, to give you an idea what kind of a guy Edward was, he automatically had taken, and he was the first guy in the room. He was the only guy in there when I came. He had automatically taken the upper bunk. He realized that whoever would move into the room after him obviously ranked him. and would. <laughs> so I moved in there at the lower bunk. See, So I said at first a couple of things like, uh, hey, how about let's go on down and get in a beer, Ed? And there'd be a pause, and he'd turn and say, Excuse me, are you uh, talking to me? I'd say, Yeah, I'm about getting a beer, Ed. Oh, I, I didn't know that you were, you were speaking to me. My name is Edward. I, did, I didn't know you meant me. And uh, so I got the message very quickly. Well, after about three or four days of this, my own friends began to drift in. You know, various guys had come in and out, and Edward was always sitting there 
quietly working away, uh, struggling to fight off the inevitable, which eventually got him. And uh, you know, eventually he 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 was not among the the, the he was not among the present. And uh, well, about two or three weeks after I moved into this place, one day a whole bunch of guys came drifting into my room. A whole bunch of guys. There was a guy named Stanley, a guy named Ralph. A whole bunch of guys. You know, you knew a whole... You think of all the guys you know in school. Howie, the whole crowd are in there. And all of a sudden, it was a very peculiar smell. And somebody says, what the hell is that? And I said, I don't know. And even Edward looked up and looked around. Which took a lot to make him look up from his his woefully inadequate labors. He looked up and looked around. He said, to, excuse me, uh, would you open the door? And so I opened the door. Well, we sat around there for a while, and this happened three or four nights running until we discovered it was a guy named Martin. Every time Martin came in, that smell came in with him. Well, up to that point, everybody called him Marty. But then Ralph... On about the fourth or fifth day after we had made our discovery that this aroma always accompanied Martin wherever he went, when he walked in, uh, <laughs> Ralph, who was squatting on the bottom bunk, drinking a Coke, he said, Hey, fellas, old fungus just come in. Old fungus Clevenger. At which point, Clevenger, who apparently had gone through this before, because guys who carry that time of aroma, they're used to this, at which point he says, Oh, knock it off. Come on, will you? He said, oh, fungus, come on, fungus, you're smelling up the place. Why don't you stand out in the hall and talk to us in from the hall? There's a breeze through there. Well, <laughs> this continued for about three or four days. Our little gang would meet every day, and it happened like spontaneous combustion. Fungus came in one afternoon, and uh, he was. it was a warm day. I guess it was the warmth of the day that did it. It was a little warm that day, and fungus was in superb form. Fungus could have been detected by even an insensitive nose for maybe three or four blocks. And you could, you, could, you could tell he was coming down the hall, you know? So he drifted in, and we sat there for a couple of seconds, and just everybody was sitting in there, me and Howie and Ralph and Stanley, the whole crowd, and Edward even. Uh, yes, Edward turned around, and all of a sudden Howie says, All set, guys? Ralph said, yeah! And he reached out and he grabbed this guy by the nape of the neck. See? And he started a struggle. Four guys hit him like that at once. They carried him kicking and screaming down to the john. At which point he was hurled bodily, bodily into the shower with all faucets turned on. And he starts to bang, let me out, let me out. He says, you're not getting out. And they just kept that pouring on him for about 20 minutes. Well, they got him out of the shower. He's wet, his hair is hanging, you know, his eyeballs are spinning. They stripped his clothes all off. And somebody says, give me that life, boy. They scrubbed him down with these wooden brushes that were always on the floor there. They used, he had nothing but, you know, his skin looked like, looked like red. <laughs> they scrubbed him down. And somebody got a can of aerosol deodorant and sprayed him up and down. He's laying on the floor. Let me go. And they're holding him down. They sprayed him up and down. Somebody says, okay, fungus, now you can come back in and join the game. He never came back. He left quickly, and Fungus Clevenger never returned to my room, which was room 203. And so I would say to you, friends, yes, wouldn't that make a great TV commercial? Here comes Fungus! Five guys grab him. Uh, this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR Newsroom. 
At tonight's dinner given by President Nixon for South Vietnam's President Chu at the Western White House, the main course was roast prime tenderloin of beef, about the most expensive cut obtainable. That the White House doesn't believe in the meat boycott was echoed by Virginia Nauer, the president's advisor on consumer affairs. At a news conference in San Francisco, she said, the boycott will have no long-range effect, and what women should do instead is, and we quote, be selective in their buying. Another opposed to the boycott is California's Governor Ronald Reagan. Today, a yard-long bologna, weighing about 10 pounds, was left at the governor's office by a representative of the Consumers Federation of California as a symbol of that group's unhappiness with the Reagan position. As for the boycott itself on the first market day, it proved at least 50% effective here in New York. That's how much meat sales were down in a number of supermarkets canvassed. What went up today was the sale of fish and frozen foods. But the fish merchants who lined up at the Fulton Market long before the crack of dawn were astounded at the prices being asked by the dealers, and many of the merchants simply turned around and left. One dealer was heard to comment, the public is boycotting the wrong industry. I think fish will be next. A pound of striped bass sold for 90 cents today. A week ago, it was 50 cents. So if the meat prices are high and now fish, what does the consumer do next? At least for the remainder of the boycott. The Democrats were given airtime tonight to respond to President Nixon's last Thursday night broadcast, and the spokesman was Senator Edmund Muskie of Maine. Muskie accused the president of abusing his power saying that he was exercising one-man rule over the budget, inflation, and the Watergate affair. 